Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. As the teens and children are heading out, there, there are no handouts for tonight's message. It's a very simple message, three simple points, and we're going to close. But as they are heading out this evening, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20, and uh, we'll give you a few moments to find your place there, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 20 this evening. Again, thank you so much for bringing your children and teens to the revival meetings, and God is working in a great way in those young lives, and we are so grateful. Jeremiah chapter 20, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12, and tonight I'm going to share with you a message that just gets straight to the point. We're not going to belabor it, but we are going to get right to the point, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. Uh, This message is meant to be of encouragement when we are in great need uh, of encouragement because we may find ourselves so discouraged so discouraged. What I've found, even within the household of faith in the believers, many times we have no clue what the person beside of us in the pew is going through. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We don't know the battles that each of us may be facing, and and many times people come to church, and even though we're part of the household of faith, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't feel like we can share with anyone. And so that can make a very lonely situation, just like you saw in the drama tonight. There was a point where everyone felt abandoned. They felt very lonely. But what the devil so badly wants to deceive us of in those times is he wants you to think that you truly are alone, but you're not. Here's a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's Jesus. You are never, ever, ever alone. And if you're a God's child, you are always God's child. And he will keep you forever in his son by grace through faith. In Jeremiah chapter 20, we are not the only people that are subject to discouragement. In fact, much of the Bible is written by people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or to people who are going through pain and suffering. So much of the Bible is written to people that are going through very difficult times. And Jeremiah is one of those people. Now, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. He's the weeping prophet. In other words, what's going on in his day is very serious for God's people. Jeremiah is so overwhelmed and burdened about the sin of God's people and the judgment to come. But he's a prophet of God. And so many times when Jeremiah went out to preach his message, he was persecuted and ridiculed so much that he just wanted to quit. Now, Barna statistics, as of a few months ago, state that after the past two years of COVID, that the statistics of pastors alone in the American church who want to quit are at an all-time high. COVID has been a very difficult time, not just on the people of God, but also on the leaders of God's people. So if the leaders of God's people are that discouraged, you can only imagine where the people of God might have been, even over the past couple of years. But this discouragement has been going on since Genesis 3. Ever since sin came into the world and the curse of sin, and with that pain and suffering, there's been discouragement. And Jeremiah, though he's a prophet, we find him here in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. And I want you to understand that as you walk through these verses, he's literally going back and forth talking to himself. We are allowed to enter into a personal conversation that Jeremiah is having between he and God, and Jeremiah is going back and forth. 
What you're about to read from verses 7 through 12 is one minute Jeremiah is in the depths of despair and depression. The next minute he's preaching truth to himself and trying to say, I'm not going to quit. And then in the next verse he's going, nope, forget that, I'm going to quit. No, I can't quit, I better keep on going. And he's going back and forth. You ever feel that way? (laughs) You say, Mark, how many times have you felt that way? I've lost count. I can't tell how many times on some given days I've gone back and forth that many times, 10 or 20 times. I can't tell you how many times I stepped out of church on Sunday night and by Monday morning, I'm like, I wonder if there's something else I should be doing. I can't tell how many times I had written a resignation letter and was on my way to turn it in and the Lord said, stop it. (laughs) So God's people struggle with discouragement. I'm talking from a pastoral perspective, but let me give you a church member's perspective. I've had church members sit on the front pew, eat up every word of God's word, walk up to me after sermons, go, Pastor, that was such a great sermon. Man, God is working so powerfully in my life. Man, Pastor, this is wonderful. God's working. I want to grow. I want to serve. Oh, and by the way, Pastor, if you ever need anything, you let me know. And six months later, they're gone. The devil wants God's people to quit. Look with me, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Jeremiah is going through this same battle. He's flesh and blood just like us. And though he's a prophet, though he's seen many things, he too struggles with wanting to throw in the towel. Look with me in verse 7. He says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Now you say, what's going on here? He's saying, every time I speak the truth, it doesn't go well for me. In verse 9, he finally basically says, I'm going to give up. Then I said, I'm just not going to make mention of Jesus, of God, of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to make mention of God anymore. I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. It's just too tough. But then he goes back. I can't quit. Why? His word was in my heart like a burning fire. I love that verse. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we'll report it. And notice what he says here. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying perhaps he can be induced. Then we'll prevail against him and we'll take our revenge on him. In other words, Jeremiah has no friends. And every time he preaches, he just makes more enemies. And everyone around him is saying, I hope you fail, I hope you fail, I hope you fail. What a great life. Then in verse 10, uh, and I'm sorry, we've already read, have we read that one? Verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. By the way, God's the only one worthy of the word awesome. The word awesome means some of it all. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Three simple points, and we're going to close. Tonight, I want to share with you a message entitled, The Invincible Resources of God. The Invincible Resources of God. And I see them in the life of Jeremiah. And they're the resources of God that Jeremiah grabbed onto so that he would remain faithful and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I got some good news for you. As depressed as Jeremiah is here in this passage, Jeremiah did not quit. But he wanted to. (laughs) 
He struggled just like us. And here's the first thing that Jeremiah reminded himself of when he so badly wanted to throw in the towel because life's too hard, ministry's too hard, the call of God's too hard, the Christian life's too hard. But out of nowhere, Jeremiah goes, wait a second though, God has called me. You say, where do you see that? Verse 7, O Lord, you induced me. You deceived me. The word literally means you called. Lord, you called me and I was persuaded you are stronger than I and you have prevailed. In other words, here's what Jeremiah is saying. Lord, I'm so discouraged. I so want to quit. Lord, I want a different job. (laughs) I I know I forget. There's days when I was pastoring and I thought to myself, I wonder if it would be better just working at Panera Bread. I'm serious. I had little visions of this. There would be days it would be so hard. I thought, you know what? It would be so, it just looks so non-stressful when I walk into Panera Bread. You just go over and you order your coffee and you look at the people behind and they make the sandwich, they make the soup, they throw it up on the counter and they just keep doing that. I thought, that looks so refreshing. Jeremiah wanted to throw in the towel and say, this is just too hard. You know what? I might as well just live like everybody else. They don't care. Why should I care? He says, but here's why I can't quit. God called me. The call of God. Now, Jeremiah had been called in two different ways. This is a very simple message, but it's very powerful truth. First of all, Jeremiah had been called to salvation. And so have you. Every single person in this room has experienced the call of God. You say, what are you talking about? How many of you have ever heard the gospel? All right, some of you haven't. So if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to share it here in a minute. All right, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. Repent and believe and you shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many of you have heard the gospel? Everybody should raise their hand. Okay, guess what? When you hear the gospel, God just called you. That's called the gospel call. Jesus goes out and he preaches the gospel and here was the call. Here's the gospel and here's what you should do. Repent and believe. It's the gospel call. Every one of you have been called. And if you, by the grace of God, have repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're now his called one. In fact, the very word church in the New Testament means called out ones. Did you know that? Church does not mean a building. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia, and it means called out ones. It means that God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, You've been called out of the old kingdom. You've been called out of the world to God for God. So if you have repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are now saved. You are saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, one day the presence of sin. You are clothed in Christ. You're now a saint. The Bible calls you a saint, a righteous one, a holy one. You are a called out one. Everyone in here has been called by God. But then there's a second call that Jeremiah had, which every person in this room has. You've been called to ministry. You say, wait a second, I thought that was just Pastor Sean. That's what we pay him to do. Nope, every Christian has been called to ministry. You say, Mark, how do you know that? Ephesians 4.12. For God gave some to be apostles, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. Raise your hand if you're a saint. All right, a few of you. Some of you aren't saints yet. Y'all aren't good at this raising hand thing, all right? For the equipping of the saints, 
for the work of the ministry. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. Listen carefully, because this is one of the greatest lies in the American church. For God gave some to be apostles, pastors, and teachers, and evangelists. Why did he give those certain people with spiritual gifts to the saints? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Where's God placing the ministry burden? On the saints. What is the pastor, teacher, apostle, evangelist supposed to do for the saints so that they'll be ready for the ministry? Equip them. Well, we pay pastor a big salary for to do all that. No, you, what you do is you pay pastor a salary so that in a full-time, undistracted way, he can pray, prepare the Word, teach the Word, in the power of the Spirit, feed the Word of God to the people, and give his life in equipping you with your spiritual gift for what God's called you to do and the work of the ministry and taking the gospel into Roanoke and around the world. I started telling people whenever I was pastoring, people always say, the pastor's on the front line. I started telling people, you know what? I don't know how much on the front line I am. Actually, I think you're on the front line. I can't get into Coca-Cola. Last time I checked, especially in the society in which we're in, I can go to Walmart all day long and say, I'm a preacher. Can I come talk to the employees? They're going to be like, bye. But if you work there, you're the missionary. And my job on Sunday and throughout the week is to feed you and to equip you and to mobilize you and to be used by God by the power of the Word of God to stir your heart and mobilize you for where God has put you to use your spiritual gift not only to build up the body of Christ but to be His ambassador at Walmart, UPS, and wherever you work. So that the gospel goes to the uttermost. Every one of us in here have been called. Now most Christians in the American church don't even know their spiritual gift. I mean, I've been in the church for 40-some years, and I've been a pastor for 25 years. I can count on one hand how many of God's people have walked up to me and said, oh, I know my spiritual gift. Here's what it is. Where, do you, where can you put me to work? Most Christians, though they've heard hundreds of sermons, you'll sit down with them and say, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Mm -mm. Well, why have you not ever found out? Because the Bible says the moment you got saved and the Holy Spirit came and indwelt you, not only did He give you Himself, but He gave you gifts that are just for you, that Christ designed, that are the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament for the church, so that when you're walking in the Spirit, He uses that gift, and when you use your gift, and 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 everybody's doing it in harmony together, it builds up the church. You say, Pastor Mark, what's your gift? I think my gifts are preaching, administrating, and shepherding. Those things, when I'm walking in the Spirit, that's what the Spirit empowers me to do. Some of you, though, have the gift of mercy. You have the gift of helps. You have the gift of giving and service. Some of you have the gift of faith. My wife has the gift of faith. If, if you want something, if you want to take some prayers to God and watch God move heaven and earth, just ask her to pray for you. It happens. She's got the gift of faith. She's got a gift of discernment. Every one of us has been gifted in different ways, and when we're all walking in the Spirit and using our gifts, boy, the body of Christ becomes something very beautiful. Every one of you have been called by God. And here's why I say that. The devil wants you to forget it. Man, I'm done with church. They made me mad. Well, you're still called. Well, I don't like preacher anymore. Well, fine, but you're still called. Well, I'm done with organized religion. Well, you're still called to serve God and be a part of His church. 
Well, I'm done witnessing to people. The past three people have turned me down. I'm sorry, you're still called. You can't get away from the call. Every one of us has been called. I never forget the day I surrendered to God's calling on my life. I came forward in our church, and our church really wasn't used to a lot of people coming forward, so it was kind of an amazing thing when it happened. You know, it's interesting. We do this walk forward invitation thing, and all that means is you sing three verses, everybody looks at each other, no one moves. What we should be singing instead of I surrender all, we should sing a song, I shall not be moved. <laughs> so, but we sing I surrender all. I surrender all, just I'm not coming forward. Because if I come forward, people think I have problems because, you know, we're all fine. So, I remember, I forget the Sunday I came forward and I, I came to the altar and my, it, it was kind of out of the ordinary for people to come forward at my church and my pastor kind of looked at me bewildered like, what are you doing? I'm like, God's called me to, to be a pastor. I've been wrestling with it for a year and a half and today I'm surrendering to that call and he was kind of shocked and we were trying to figure out what to do because someone, someone came forward. And um, I know I forget that day though, I knew without a doubt, I have to surrender God hasn't just called me to be a Christian, though I've been a Christian for 20-some years. God has called me to pastoral ministry. I've got to surrender no matter what. And the reason, here's what I was debating. I was debating between politics or pastoral ministry. Like, wow. But that's what I was wrestling with. I was like, I don't know if I want to go in politics or pastoral ministry, but God kept laying pastoral ministry in my heart. But I'm like, man, I really like to do this politics thing. And finally one day I had to surrender and say, God, you've called me. You've persuaded me and I'm going to surrender. I know I forget shortly after that time, I'd never been told this story, but they tell me that when I was born, I was born at seven months, and, I was, uh, uh, and, and they didn't think I was going to make it because my lungs were collapsing. And a long story short, my grandfather went and got the pastor or, or somebody from the church and, and brought them up to the NICU. And they tell me that whenever my grandfather found me in the NICU, he had the pastor pray over me. And after they prayed over me, my grandfather turned and looked at the pastor and said, you see my grandson there? And he said, yeah, he goes, he's going to be a preacher. So it's it amazing because I had not heard that story until after I surrendered to the call. But it was a confirmation of God's call on my life. Now here's why I tell you that story. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to go back to that day. I can't tell you how many times I've walked across the church parking lot and said, uh-uh. And God has to keep Deuteronomy, wait a second, you can't get out of this. You're called. Yeah, but let me call the shots for a little while. Really? You want to blow your life? I am your life. You call me Lord and Master. You're called. Lord, it's too hard. My grace is sufficient. Lord, but it, I don't know. I do know. And you've been called. Let's get off pastors for a moment. Lord, you called me five years ago to work in the nursery. You gave me a special love for children. But I had a bad circumstance happen between me and one of the parents, and they got upset with me, and I got discouraged, and I quit. Did you quit, or did God release you from your assignment? Well, I used to do this in the church, but I got tired of it. Well, okay, but you were called to it. Did the one who called you release you from your assignment? Now, does God change assignments? Sure he does. I'm not pastoring a local church right now. God has me doing evangelism work. But I had to be released from that assignment before I could take another assignment. So if you're not doing something that God called you to do, why is that? And make sure you were released 
and that you're embracing his next assignment, the call of God. But here's the second thing I see here in the passage. Jeremiah said not only does he have to keep going back to the call of God, but I want you to look with me down in verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him anymore. I will not speak anymore in his name. In other words, I just want to quit. I'm not doing this anymore. But then he preaches to himself, I can't quit. Why? His word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I love this. You know what Jeremiah is saying? God, I feel like quitting. But I haven't been called to live by feelings. I've been called to live by faith. I want to tell you real quick, if we all lived by our feelings, we'd be a train wreck. And if we all did everything we've ever felt like doing, our life would be a mess. I felt like doing a lot of things that I should never do. But we live by faith. God, I feel like this. And God says, wait, what about my word? And Jeremiah then reminds himself, Lord, not only am I a prophet and I speak for you as you give me your word, but Lord, I've spent time in your word. And your word, I've meditated on it and it's filled up my heart and life. And Lord, you, because you're a consuming fire, your word has set my heart on fire. It's deep down inside of me. It's a burning fire. And as much as I'd like to hold it back and stop proclaiming it, because every time I proclaim it, they beat up on me. They throw me in jail. They put me in the stocks. They'd also thrown Jeremiah into a pit. He said, God, every time I speak your word, they just spit all over me. It is bad. But as much as I want to hold it back, I can't. You remember when the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. If you've experienced the love of Christ, you can't just get over it. And if you've experienced God by His Spirit taking His Word and burning it on your heart and life and transforming you into the image of His Son, whether you're sitting on your couch on a Monday morning drinking coffee, spending time with God, or you're sitting in church hearing a sermon and the Holy Spirit is burning that Word on your heart, you can never get rid of that. It's the Word. It's the implanted Word in your soul. You know one of the reasons I can't quit? Because this is all in me. It's just all in me. Now there's days I feel like doing something I shouldn't. And all of a sudden God goes, my Word. Jeremiah said it's burning in me. I love what John Wesley said. I love this. John Wesley said... I love to get on so on fire with the Word of God and preach it with such burning that people come just to watch me burn. I love what George Whitfield said, famous evangelist. He and Billy Graham are two of my favorite evangelists. Two different time periods. But George Whitfield, I mean, he would preach and thousands would come to hear him preach and they would weep. And one day, someone got on to George Whitfield and said, you're too emotional. You're too emotional. He said, well, I want to tell you something. He said, I've been watching all of you. He didn't mince words. He said, I've been watching all of you. And he said, I think, I'm paraphrasing. He goes, I find it very interesting. He said, you'll walk down to a theater. And you'll all walk in and sit down and watch a play, kind of like we just saw, a drama. And he said, the actors will get up and they so embrace their character, fictional characters, that by the time the drama's over, you think that the people they portrayed are real people. So let's pretend for a moment. Let's say, hey, let's go to a play on Friday night. Really, what are we going to go see? We're going to go see Peter Pan. You walk in, you're watching all the actors, and Peter Pan is so embracing his character, by the, by the time you leave the theater, you think, I wonder if there's really a Peter Pan. Y'all following me? 
Here's what George Whitfield said. I love it. George Whitfield said, if you can walk into a theater and the people so embrace a fictional character in such a powerful way that you leave even wondering yourself, I wonder if there's really a Peter Pan. How dare I be a preacher of God's word, which is absolute truth for all people in all places at all time, get up and preach the very word of life, which is anything but fiction. It is absolute truth and preach it in such a way that I'm not on fire nor try to set God's people on fire with it. Can I say something? We may have all had times we were bored in church, but I got some news for you. God's never been boring, ever. If we're bored, we got a problem, whether it's the preacher or the people. And what George Whitfield said is, I want to so embrace this that when I get up and preach it, people know this is the truth. Jeremiah said, it's the truth. And it burns in me like a fire. You know one of the reasons you can't quit tonight? Because God's word has burned in you. And as you feast on that word, it is his word that keeps you going. And that leads me to this final point, and we'll close. The third thing that Jeremiah brings up as to why he cannot throw in the towel is because he believed in the promises of God. Look with me, verse 11. Out of nowhere, after he goes back and forth in all this depression, he throws out a promise. Verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They'll be greatly ashamed. They shall not prosper. The promises of God mean so much to me. Many have estimated that we've got over 3,000 promises in God's word for his people. Some have estimated we have 6,000. I don't know, but we've got thousands of promises. And here's the thing. God will never, ever, 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 ever go back on a promise. So you know what happened? Jeremiah's going all back and forth. He wants to be depressed. He wants to throw in the towel. And then all of a sudden he remembers a promise. Wait a second, God. You have promised never to leave me or forsake me. You are with me always. And it's not just anybody who's with me. You're with me as a mighty, awesome one. Someone once said this, God and you will always make a majority. I want to tell you why the promises of God mean so much to me. Just listen to some of them. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's a fact. That's a promise. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us so. That's a promise. And my God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can even ask or think according to the power that works in me through Christ Jesus in his church in all generations. That includes 2022. That's a promise. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a promise. By the way, I know Russia is invading Ukraine right now. We know there's a horrible atrocity. But as you're watching the news, one thing they're rarely talking about is, is God's church is in Ukraine. There are believers in Ukraine. And even in the midst of that atrocity, Christ is going to build his church. And the gates of hell, more or less Russia, are going to prevail against it. These are promises that God is going to keep. And he does keep. I want to close this illustration and tell you why the promises mean so much to me personally. Years ago, been about 15 years ago, I think I came close to a nervous breakdown. I was in the ministry. I was uh, pastoring. And 
as much as I know, I was walking with the Lord. There wasn't secret sin in my life, or I wasn't walking around like a knowingly unconfessed sin. I was, if, 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 if I was sinning, I was getting it right quickly. In all, all account, I wanted to serve the Lord. I was serving the Lord. I was proclaiming the Lord. I was helping people grow in the Lord. But I was close to a nervous breakdown. And I won't go through all the details, but things were very difficult in our ministry at that time. There was a lot of division, a lot of disunity, some, some hard things were happening. And then one morning I woke up and I was dealing with a situation and, and, and as much as we were trying to deal with the situation in love, some people really got mad at me. I got threatened. <laughs> I, was told, I was told at one point, uh, if you don't do things my way, you'll be in a wheelchair by tonight. And sure enough, that night, someone walked up to our door and banged on our front door and then took off running. It was a great day. I started getting hate emails every morning. I would get to the office, pull up my computer, and I'd have a new anonymous hate email. By the way, they tell you never to read anonymous emails, and I was too young and stupid to know that. You're the worst youth pastor that's ever been on the earth. You're the worst thing that's ever happened in this church. You're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. But between the hate emails and the physical threats and division and things not going well, that really wasn't my real problem. The real problem, and I'm going to be very transparent with you, and I do this every week because people think pastors like have it all together and never have problems. You know what my real problem was? I would get up in the morning, and from morning to night, somebody kept telling me, there is no God, you shouldn't be living this way, you're wasting your life, go do something else. You say, who was that? I think it was the devil. I didn't ask for it. I didn't wake up one morning and say, Lord, today would you just send the devil to sit on my face and scream to me all day like a heckler that you're not real, that the faith is not real, and that I'm wasting my life and it's not worth surrendering to. But one morning I woke up and I have no idea why it happened. But some special demons came and sat on my face and they didn't leave for a long time. I would go six months at a time where from the time I got up, went to work, pastored all day long, preached God's word. And by the way, the ministry was fruitful. God was blessing. But from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, subliminally in the back of my mind, all I could hear was this heckler. It's kind of like a political rally. You ever see that? The politician's up talking and all of a sudden somebody stands up and starts chanting stuff and they, you know, they drag them out and it's all over the news. Well, it's like a heckler at a political rally. It was right back here. Are you sure this is real? Are you sure the Bible's real? Are you sure there's a God? You sure the Christian life's worth it? I mean, you're a preacher for crying out loud. You sure this is, you sure this is the best way to spend your life? And it went on and on and on. You say, well, you know what you should have done? You should have prayed about it. I prayed about it all the time. God, please take this away from me. He didn't. Kind of like that drama. Somebody said, well, you should, be, you should have gotten the Bible more. I read my Bible all the time and preached it all the time. Well, you should have went and talked to somebody. I did talk to some people, but I'll tell you what's fun when you're a pastor. It goes something like this. Hi, I'm on staff at your church. And though things are going well and God is blessing, I'm one of your pastors, and all day long I hear in my mind, there is no God. 
would you like me to keep staying on staff? And it wore me down. And one day, I was the youth pastor at that time. It was our biggest night of the year. About 125 teenagers were expected at church. It was our youth rally kickoff. And I never forget, I sat upstairs in my desk three hours before that huge event. And I just dropped my face in my hand and I started weeping uncontrollably. And I said, I'm done. I got up, I went downstairs, I found our interim pastor at the time. He looked at me, I never forget, he took one look at me, he goes, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. He said, you should go home. I said, I think you're right. I drove home, I never forget, I pulled up in the driveway, my wife, who's always full of faith, meets me at the door. She looked at me, I never forget, she looked at me, she goes, did you quit? I said, I'll be honest with you, honey, I don't know what I've done. And I will forget, I walked in and I sat down in the recliner and my hands began to shake. And someone got word that I wasn't feeling well and that I had turned the youth event over that night to the youth leaders and they called me. And just that one phone call stressed me out so bad, I thought I was going to snap. I could handle nothing else. I thought I was going crazy. And my wife said, what can I do for you? I said, just pray because I don't have the strength to pray anymore. And I sat there in that recliner for about three days. I went to bed at night, but I think I sat in that recliner about three days and just stared at the wall. Praise God for a godly wife that didn't go crazy with me. She just stayed faithful, telling me the truth. But I never forget, one day I sit in that chair and I finally told myself, just like Jeremiah, Mark, you are never preaching again. It's over. And then I did something that I would not suggest anyone do. It's horrible advice. But I knew I needed to be in God's word, but I didn't have the strength to do it. And finally I said, God, I don't even know where to go. My mind is so messed up and so distraught. I, I, I can't even handle anything mentally. But Lord, I got to have something or I am going to die. And I never forget, I took out my Bible and I just started thumbing through it and they say, don't ever do this. Like, the page landed here and stick your finger there. Like, don't do that. But I thumbed through my Bible and all of a sudden, my eyes caught a verse. And immediately the Holy Spirit was like, now this is for you. Luke twenty two thirty I For about 10 years, I couldn't even say this verse without crying. We'll see if I can do it tonight because it burnt so deeply on my heart because it's all I had. I didn't have anything else. Nobody could do anything for me. All I had was a promise. And it went like this. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you return, you will strengthen your brethren. Everybody know who Simon is? That's Peter. He's right for the crucifixion. Peter, I got some news for you. You got an enemy. He's asked permission from your heavenly father to throw you around like wheat. Just to throw you all over the place. 
And guess what? The Father's granted it for your good. But in the middle of it, I want you to know something. I have prayed for you. You know what? I don't think until that day I really understood that there's someone always praying for me that gets his prayers answered. His name is Jesus. But I have prayed for you. And it's not if you return. When you return, I'm going to use this trial that's stripping you from self so that you depend more on God to strengthen the brethren. And about a week later, I came out of it. And I I can take you back to Feather Road over in Vinton where I pulled out of the house one morning and for the first time in a year, I can take you back to the stop on the road where all of a sudden I was driving down the road and for the first time I said, God, thank you for the trial. All I'd wanted for a year was for that to go away. And for the first time I said, God, thank you. And then I prayed this, God, don't let it go away too quickly because I see what you're doing in my life and I'm afraid if you take it away too quickly, I'm going to get independent again and quit relying on you. And I don't want to lose what we've got now. That's when you know you're having victory. The call of God, the burning of God, the promises of God. Question for you tonight. Deep down inside, are you wanting to run away and quit? You can't. You're still here for a reason. And he's called you. And he's put his burning inside of you, his spirit and his word. And you have all of his promises. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain in the Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Pastor's going to come here in just a moment. Valerie's going to come and just play quietly. I know I've taken us right up to the hour, and I appreciate your attention. I don't know how God has spoken to your heart tonight, but we've all been discouraged. And 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 I'll tell you this too. While I'm growing in the faith, I don't think the situation I described to you will be my last. (laughs) I don't think it's going to be my last valley by a long shot. And the trial you may have just finished won't be your last. And the trial you're in won't be your last. And the trial getting ready to come in your life won't be the last. But I know this, God is faithful. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.breachingroanoke.com.